Hey folks, thanks for joining us for another episode of Travel and Trivia, a podcast for the curious traveler eager to embark on their next adventure. Chances are, most of you would probably be able to define what a national park is, but when it comes to national monuments, the area is a bit more gray. So what makes a national monument? National monuments aim to protect objects of historic or scientific interest that are situated on lands owned or controlled by the federal government. Often, these monuments are administered by the National Park Service, but they can be watched over by other federal agencies as well. In my opinion, the biggest perk of the National Monument System is that they can be established through presidential proclamation, thus quickly protecting lands without needing to go through long, drawn-out legislative processes. However, monuments can also be initiated by Congress via a bill that the President signs into law. As a matter of fact, Several of today's national parks began as national monuments, most notably the Grand Canyon. On today's episode, Chloe and I will be traveling from coast to coast in search of our nation's unique national monuments. The round will consist of 10 questions varying in difficulty level and one bonus question. Stick around for the seventh question stretch for a quick story of our journey and some happily married couple banter. A reminder, there will be just over 30 seconds to answer each question, so if you're impatient like me, feel free to skip ahead. Our barometer of difficulty, the Chloe Hardness Test, remains in effect. Prior to recording, Chloe must play the 11 question round, and if she gets more than 4 right, the episode is a go. Find out how well Chloe knows national monuments at the end of this week's episode. Without further ado, let the trivia begin. Question 1. While national parks may get the majority of the fanfare, 128 national monuments dot the nation in all shapes and sizes. While some have less square feet than a house, others are larger than national parks. What is the name of America's largest national monument? And the answer is Papahono Mokuakea Marine National Monument. This monument is the largest contiguous fully protected conservation area in the United States and one of the largest marine conservation areas in the world. In total, 528,578 square miles of the Pacific Ocean are protected. To put that in perspective, that's an area larger than all of the country's national parks combined. This impressive 1,350-mile stretch of islands harbor an incredible diversity of life, including some species endemic to the islands. Over the last 100 years, these islands have been given increasing protection by various presidents, but it wasn't until 2006 that President George W. Bush officially established this national monument. Question 2. National monuments can be directly established by presidents without going through Congress. Many presidents have used this loophole to give sensitive landscapes quick protection without the need for lengthy congressional debates. Which U.S. president is responsible for designating the most national monuments?
And the answer is President Bill Clinton. During his presidency, he established a total of 19 national monuments. For those of you who may have guessed Teddy Roosevelt, he was a close second with a total of 17. Perhaps President Clinton's most notable designation came on September 18, 1996, when nearly 1.9 million acres rich in history, unique formations, and layers of rock spanning 400 million years became the Grand Staircase Escalante National Monument in Utah. Question 3. Some national monuments are even older than our national parks. As mentioned earlier, many national parks of today were national monuments prior to the creation of the national park system. In December of 2020, the newest national monument was created at the Medgar and Murley Evers Home in Mississippi. Name the oldest national monument still in existence today. And the answer is Devil's Tower National Monument, located high above the Belfouche River in Crook County, Wyoming. The area surrounding this geologic oddity was officially protected by President Theodore Roosevelt for its scientific value in 1906. While geologists still theorize how this mighty tower of rock came to protrude its way out of the surrounding grassland, it is undeniably impressive and a sight to behold. The igneous rock that forms Devil's Tower, Phonolite Porphyry, comes from cooled magma and it is the largest example of rare columnar jointing in the world. Question 4. Vermilion Cliffs National Monument located in northern Arizona and southern Utah is as remote as it is beautiful. The unique unspoiled nature of this park makes it a great place for preservation efforts of endangered species. What critically endangered North American bird was introduced to the area in 1996 and now numbers have reached nearly 200 in the wild? And the answer is the California condor. North America's largest land bird was declared extinct in the wild in 1987. Their demise was brought on by agricultural chemicals, poaching, and the destruction of habitat. All surviving specimens were brought into captivity. Thanks to organizations like the Peregrine Fund, reintroduction efforts have been successful and the population of condors has grown from as low as 22 individuals in 1982 to over 200 condors today. Question 5. Located above the Arctic Circle, what northernmost national monument shows evidence of human habitation that dates back more than 5,000 years?
And the answer is Cape Cruisenstern National Monument. Located on the shores of the Chukchi Sea in Alaska, you won't find any entrance gates, roads, trails, or even campgrounds. But you will find an abundance of tundra wildlife that thrive within its boundaries. Not so long ago, the 70-mile shoreline of the monument wasn't a shoreline at all. Instead, it served as the connection point of a sea of flowing grass known as Beringia. It was here, and in many other places along the coast, that the first people came to the Americas during the last ice age. The local culture still thrives in this area to this day, much as they have for over 200 generations. Question 6. Dinosaur Monument is comprised of 210,000 acres of protected public land in northwest Colorado and northeast Utah. Famous for its fossils, name one of the five most common dinosaur fossils visible at the Quarry Exhibit Hall. And the answers are Allosaurus, Apatosaurus, Camarasaurus, Diplodocus, and Stegosaurus. While the name is derived from these famous fossils, the remainder of the monument should be equally enjoyed. Be sure to check out the spectacular canyons and rivers on the Colorado side by driving, rafting, hiking, or biking. Welcome to the seventh question. Oh my god. Go ahead, try again. Oh, welcome to the seventh question stretch. There we go. <laughs> Seeing as we are recording this on Labor Day, happy Labor Day. I hope your plans went exactly as you thought they would. Chloe and I have been fortunate enough to spend many Labor Day weekends together, but the last two, they didn't quite go as planned. It was September of 2021, and we had a fairly rigorous Labor Day weekend schedule. And by rigorous, I mean a lot of things were going to have to go right in order for this weekend to work out. At the time, Chloe was still living in Kentucky, and I was living in Michigan, and our plan was to make it all the way up to the Upper Peninsula to attend my alma mater's football game. The game was on Saturday, and it was scheduled at 1 o'clock. My plan was to leave after class to head back up to Michigan around 5 o'clock, and then we'd leave Saturday morning to make it for kickoff. We had pulled stunts like this before quite successfully in the past, but this weekend was going to be different. So on Friday at about 6.45 p.m., I slammed into the back of a truck in Dayton, Ohio. Redeem yourself a little bit here. You were paying attention. Yeah. It was in a construction zone. I thought I was paying attention. <laughs> Apparently not. And I ended up hitting the car in front of me. It was a four-car pileup, so it wasn't like it was just me, and I don't think it was completely my fault. But anyway, oh no. While all this was going on in Ohio, somewhere in a dimly lit gym in Michigan, I had just finished up a set of squats when my phone started going off the hook. <laughs> I was stranded on I-75, and I had no idea what to do since I was so far away from home. So, of course, Seth is the first person I called. 
Now, Chloe's not a big crier, so when I answered the phone and she was bawling, I knew something bad had happened. After I was hit, I got out and made sure everyone was okay. And then I realized that the truck in front of me had a very long hitch that basically destroyed my engine. Dun da da da. Hero time. <laughs> in all reality, I should have definitely taken a shower before I headed all the way down to Ohio for five and a half hours in the car. But I just couldn't let my wife be stranded. An older couple that was also involved in the accident offered to give me a ride farther north than where we were. So that was nice. But in my gut, I was like, Phew. I mean, I listen to a true crime podcast every week. This is probably not the best move, but I did feel safe after talking to the lady. Do serial killers normally give you homemade jam? <gasps> Ask in the crowd. So fast forward a little bit, I did not get picked up by serial killers, and we made it home a lot later than anticipated at around 3 a.m. That gave us about three hours to sleep before we were supposed to be on the road for the second time. Luckily, Seth's dad was planning on coming with us, and he offered to drive up, so we were able to sleep on the way. Now, we have a Subaru Forester, and say what you will, it's a pretty versatile vehicle. If you don't know... The back seats fold completely down, which offers up a decent bed for a couple of people who desperately need to get some sleep. Along the highway, Chloe and I slept peacefully. It wasn't until my dad pulled off the highway to get gas that we were abruptly woken up. In general, most gas stations that you'll stop at in Michigan, you are allowed to pump your own gas and you will rarely ever see a gas station attendant. Leave alone two. So after we pulled up to the pump, that was enough to wake us up, and as we opened our eyes, we saw some strange man pumping our gas. I like to think that he saw us and then like kind of avoided eye contact because he wasn't quite sure what was going on. Neither of us had the energy or the heart to explain the story to the guy, but it was funny regardless. <laughs> Long story short, we made it in time for kickoff. We had a great weekend up there with friends and family, even though it didn't go quite as we were planning it. Now, normally after something like that happens to you, you think you're probably out of the woods for a little while. But my problem, I think, was going back into the woods. <laughs> Chloe and I had a plan to backpack at the Beaver Basin Wilderness at Pictured Rocks National Lakeshore. Unfortunately, I tested positive for COVID. Since I was still negative, I thought, hey, what a great way to quarantine. <laughs> The plan was to hike eight miles, stay at a remote campground, and hike the eight miles back to the vehicle the next day. This would mean that we would have to bring all of our supplies that would be needed for the trip. And by we, now I mean I, had to bring everything. Normally all the items we need are split between our two backpacks. Knowing this, I made sure, well, <laughs> I made sure to double check and see that everything I needed would be in my backpack. After a lengthy eight-mile hike, I was very happy to arrive at camp and began setting up camp and setting up the various items that I would need for the night. My food sack consisted of jerkies, different almond and peanut butters, and it also consisted of one meal that I would cook with our camp stove once I got to camp. This would be my high-calorie meal for the day, which I would definitely need after such a hike and to prepare me for the next day. Unfortunately, due to a little Packing mix-up, I was unable to make a warm dinner that night. I got a text about 6 a.m. on day two of Seth's hike, asking if the camp stove was still on the shelf. I was so convinced that I packed it that I thought for the 30 minutes that I had went down to the beach, 
someone had stolen it, which was a completely irrational fear, seeing as I had only seen about three people that entire day. And the odds are the people that were out there had their own camp stoves. Now, this wasn't going to turn into any type of survival situation. Uh, I've got enough stores to uh, make me last the eight miles to get home. But it wasn't fun rationing jerky and almond butter the whole next day. Once Seth made it back to civilization, he ended up FaceTiming me while he was eating a whole box of cereal and a pint of ice cream at, what, 9 a.m.? You need those carbs. I needed those carbs. It's laughable now, but I'm definitely going to add a checklist to my checklist to make sure that something like this won't happen again. And, and now, back, back to, to the, the trivia. trivia. Question 7. While many national monuments have taken millions of years to form, one Washington State monument only needed about nine hours to completely change its landscape and become worthy of its now national monument distinction. Name this national monument that first exploded onto the scene in the early 1980s. is Mount St. Helens National Volcanic Monument. On a fateful Sunday morning in May of 1980, a magnitude 5.1 earthquake awoke the volcanic processes deep within the mountain. The north side of the once symmetrical mountain collapsed in grand fashion, crashing into Spirit Lake and roaring over 14 miles down Toodle River. This avalanche of earth and pressurized cloud of volcanic gas that came with it decimated everything in its path for nearly 150 square miles. What once were forested mountain slopes were now a gray wasteland. In 1982, the 110,000 acres surrounding the mountain became a national volcanic monument with the goal of research, recreation, and education. Question 8. This 240-acre national monument is the only one you'll find in Missouri. This now protected area encompasses the boyhood home of what renowned scientist, educator, and humanitarian who is remembered as much more than just peanut man. And the answer is George Washington Carver National Monument. This national monument was the first monument made solely to honor an African American. The monument shares the story of his uphill battle against prejudice and poverty on his eventual path to success and celebrated achievement. If you're planning to visit, consider a guided tour of the grounds to take a deep dive into the history of this special place. Question 9. Mounds of earth in the shape of bears, birds, bison, deer, lynx, 
panthers, and turtles began popping up within the upper Mississippi River Valley during the late woodland period, 1400 to 750 BP. This regional cultural phenomenon was practiced more in this area than any other during this time period. While some archaeologists believe the mounds were for celestial purposes, others suggest they may have served as cultural markers. What is the common name for the collection of mounds now preserved within a national monument? is the Effigy Mounds. This monument is located on the Iowa side of the Mississippi River Valley. Today, 20 American Indian tribes culturally associate with these mounds. Question 10. True or false? The U.S. Forest Service, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, and the Bureau of Land Management manage a portion of America's national monuments. And the answer is true. While the National Park Service does manage many national monuments, a good portion of them fall under the jurisdiction of other federal land management agencies, including the U.S. Forest Service, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, and the Bureau of Land Management. In the event of a tie, or if you're looking to earn a little extra credit, here's today's bonus question. Although an abundance of national monuments exist throughout the United States, two states have more than any others. Name them. are California and Arizona. Each of these states harbors 18 national monuments within their respective boundaries. Considering they are both also home to national parks, it sounds like there's a heck of a lot of exploring to be done. So how did Chloe fare on national monument trivia? Chloe earned a score of 5 out of 10. She also told me that she learned more during our preparation for this week than any other week yet. Since learning is always the goal, we're right on track. Alright, Trivia Junkies, that brings us to the end of another episode of Travel and Trivia. I hope you enjoyed testing your knowledge and maybe even pick some up along the way. If you enjoyed today's episode, feel free to leave us a review. That would be much appreciated. If you would like to dig deeper into the topics discussed in today's episode, check the references linked in the show notes.
If you haven't already, follow and share with your traveling friends. If you'd rather focus your efforts on one specific place, then next week you're in for a treat. Just recently, we finished a fantastic trip to Shenandoah National Park. It's only fitting that we share with you everything we learned during next week's episode, Shenandoah National Park Trivia. As always, we at Travel Down Wander wish you well on your next adventure. You'll only ever regret the trips you don't take.